So glad you're here. And we turn your attention to Genesis chapter 28, and we begin reading in verse 10. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Couldn't imagine he would be in this desolate place, but he was there. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar, poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. That portion of verse 18 just jumped down at me this week where it says that he took the stone that he had put for his pillows, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. I want to talk to you this morning about pillows and pillars and poured oil. Pillows and pillars and poured oil. What a great God we serve. Let's pray now. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for the opportunity to worship you, Lord. We ask you now, God, as we look into your word, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word and allow us, God, to receive from you and be changed from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We, we find Jacob here in this uh, context of these verses that we read in a, in a season of uncertainty. He's running for his life. He has tricked his father. He has stolen his brother's birthright, his twin brother Esau is threatening to take his life and he is on the run. His father has directed him to go to the land where uh, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, has family and a place where her brother, which would be Jacob's uncle, Laban, lives. And this is a place that Jacob has never gone and there's a big wilderness between where his family lives in Beersheba and where his uncle lives in Syria. So you can imagine the first night out in this wilderness, alone, in this vast land, all by himself. It had to be scary. I remember reading a book when I was quite young called The Boy Who Sailed Around the World Alone. 
It was about a young man by the name of Robin Lee Graham, who at just 16 years old, sailed around the world alone. He started out in the summer of 1965 in a 24-foot boat called the Dove. He's still alive today. He lives in Kalispell, Montana. It took him five years and he almost died several times. But he describes in detail, and though I was just a young man when I read this book, it was seared in my mind. He, he describes in detail the first night out on the sea, alone off the coast of California in the darkness. And nothing out there but just the water and the dark and the stars. He said it was so lonely and scary that he started to shake with fear. Just a 16-year-old boy. Not sure what lay in front of him. Just him and an ocean. Every minute was torture. He prayed for daylight to come. It would not be the last time in that five-year journey that he would pray for daylight. Many storms he got in. One that almost... Uh, took his life in the Indian Ocean that he had to tie himself to the mask. And when he got back after five years of sailing by himself around the world, coming back into California, 21 years old, having sailed around the world but not knowing how to drive a car or having a driver's license, somebody had to pick him up at the dock and take him home. He somehow survived, grew up to be a man in that five-year period from 16 to 21. But he said that first night when he started out, just him on a 24-foot boat and a big, vast ocean. He said he had two cats that somebody had given him to take with him and keep him company. But they did little to calm his fears. He makes this observation. He says, darkness, aloneness, and uncertainty are a dreadful combination. Darkness, aloneness, and uncertainty are a dreadful combination. Can you imagine Jacob by himself in the wilderness with nothing but his fears and uncertainties? Not knowing if his brother Esau would put together some posse and come chasing him. Not knowing if his cousins and uncles would receive him. He had never been in a place like this before. And if we were all to take testimony service tonight, everybody in this building could testify that there has been times in our life when you were fearful and you were isolated. And you didn't know who you could turn to. You didn't know where you could turn. Darkness was on every side. And you felt all alone. I've come to remind you today that in those isolated times of darkness, when you feel all by yourself, you are not alone. You are not by yourself. I'm thankful for a God that comes into those desolate places and reminds you, you are not alone. You've got help. You've got strength. You've got a God that will never leave you nor forsake Jacob tries to do what we try to do in our humanity, and that is to, to gather some some stones together to make a pillow. I'm not sure exactly how this worked. Uh, I've been in a lot of third world countries and had some flat 
and some hard and some lumpy pillows and some pillows that I wasn't sure what exactly was inside of them. I've had pillows made of straw. I had one pillow, I wasn't sure exactly what it was, so I punched a hole in it and it was filled with newspaper. I've had all kinds of pillows having been to 115 countries. But here's one thing I've never had. I've never had a pillow made out of rocks. And I'm just going out on a limb here, but I'm convinced that that's not a good pillow. Putting together stones and calling it a pillow cannot be comfortable. There are some desperate times uh, when you have to gather boulders uh, to try to find uh, some rest, uh, something to put your head on. And a lot of times uh, you got to just work with what you have uh, and what you have is not much. But I've come to tell you, if you've ever tried to make a comfortable life uh, on your own without God, it's uncomfortable. But oh, when you get in those desperate situations, uh, when you get in those desolate times, uh, I've come to tell you that God can give you comfort where there is no comfort when there's nothing in this life uh, that you can rest your head on uh, there's a God uh, that can give you sleep uh, and peace uh, and comfort and a reassurance uh, that man cannot give that your present circumstances cannot give and all you got is rocks in your surroundings all you got is rocks in your circumstance it's not enough you try to do the best you can to eke out some sort of an existence with the circumstances you're faced with. And probably out of just pure exhaustion, he falls asleep. And sometimes you have to mentally just fall asleep and say, God, you're going to have to help me. I've done everything I can do. I've made a mess out of my life. I'm out here all by myself. I don't have nothing but rocks and sand and wilderness. I'm trying to make a pillow out of a bunch of rocks. But as soon as he closed his eyes, as soon as he let go of the wheel, Jesus took over. Woo! Have you ever had times in your life like that? You did everything you could. You did the best that you could. You tried to feather your nest. You tried to make some kind of a comfortable situation out of a time of crisis. But oh, when you finally just begin to rest in the arms of God, God begin to give you a vision. You're not by yourself. Just like Jacob, he builds a ladder between heaven and earth. And angels are going up and down. And the Lord is telling Jacob, you're not by yourself in this desolate land. I'm close to you. I'm in fellowship with you. Have you ever been in those desperate times and desperate situations? I remember the first time I, I flew down to the Amazon to be with missionary Benny DeMerch. It had a legal situation going on and he asked me to come down. I flew 30 hours. I got there. We couldn't hardly land. We almost died before we got there. The plane in the middle of a storm with the instrument landing system out tried to land three times. The pilot come down through the fog, through the rain, through the storm. He'd get down there and try to land blind. He'd get down underneath all that. And finally, when it was about time to land, the wheels were about ready to sit down. He realized he'd overshot his runway. And then we'd pull out and we'd go around again. Well, you talk about getting nervous. I mean, by the third time, I was like, we got to set this bird down somewhere. Been flying all the way from Sao Paulo, probably running out of fuel. Finally, that thing landed. I thought, whew, we survived that. 
only to be picked up by a guy with a straw hat and suspenders made out of a tape measure so he could measure his fish, how big it was when he was out on the Amazon. Picked me up and took me straight out to the Amazon. Got me on his little 172 float plane, Cessna 172, and took me further out into the jungle, 200 miles from civilization, flying on a float plane where most of the instruments didn't work and had sticky notes all over the front of them. And landed out there and pulled up to a little old floating piece of wood out in the middle of nowhere with a little, like, utility shed on the top of it. And as we started hanging around there and the sun started to go down, I said, Brother Demerchie, we better get in the plane and get out of here because the sun said, he said, we stay in here tonight. I said, where? Here is nowhere. And he got in his little shed and come out with a couple of hammocks and he said, these are biblical beds because the Bible said, take up your bed and walk. You can walk with these beds. Rolled out these hammocks, tied them up there on that little old barge and we started to try to figure out how we were going to work this and he was comfortable. He was in his natural habitat, but I wasn't. I got in that hammock and he showed me how to lay diagonally across it so you'd be somewhat level. And we took a piece of fishing line and he put a, a little scrub, some sort of a screw or nail and part of it on the post. And he said, now you just pull this like this and you'll rock yourself to sleep. And I'm laying in this hammock and I'm pulling this fishing line and this thing going back and forth. I'm saying, oh God, please help me to go to sleep. And I hear jaguars and I hear all kind of wild animals and baboons and everything in the world. And I'm thinking, we're going to die. I said, what about mosquitoes? I'm trying to fall asleep worrying about what, how am I going to die? What way am I going to die tonight? I said, what about mosquitoes and malaria? I mean, there's no net. There's nothing. He's like, oh, don't worry about that. The water's too acidic here. The larvae, they can't hatch and the mosquitoes don't. You're not going to get nothing. You're fine. Just rock yourself to sleep in a biblical bed. And before long, he is snoring. And I hear every kind of creature and sound and everything coming after me. And then I looked up over my head and hundreds of bats were flying all over my head. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. And just out of pure exhaustion, I just fell asleep. He said, we're going to get up early in the morning. That's when the fish are hungry. And he said, all right, man, let's go to sleep. He goes to sleep. And after a while, I finally fall asleep. And the next morning I get up, here comes a little man with a canoe, and he's missing like half of his fingers and all that. And I, I said, what's wrong with that guy? He said, he's the one we use to take the piranha off the fishing lines. And when you've got to take a piranha off a fishing line, a lot of times you'll lose fingers because their teeth are so sharp. I said, duly noted, do not remove a piranha if it gets on the fishing line. He said, we're fishing for peacock bass, but sometimes those piranha get on the line and we give it to Freddie and he's the one that pulls off the piranha. He's good at it too. I'm wondering if I'm ever going to survive this experience. We get out there and we start fishing for these peacock bass and he was a fly fish and he showed me how to fly fish and we're starting to catch peacock bass and I start noticing that my elbow is, is acting weird and I said, something's wrong with my elbow and I look at it and it's all swelled up right there. He said, let me look at that. He looked at it he goes, oh, guess what happened to you last night? I said, did I hit it on something? He said, one of them bats got you last night. I said, say what? He said, those bats, he said, they'll land on you while you're asleep and their saliva will decoagulate your blood 
And he said, they'll sit there like little surgeons and suck blood out of your body all night long. I said, we got to get to a hospital. He said, ah, you'll be all right. We never went to a hospital. And I, I guess he's right. Because I'm all right. I got a, a tick once in a while that gets me, but... No, I'm teasing. <laughs> that started a 10-year journey of flying up and down that river with that great man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord. Built thousands of stick churches up and down that river. I saw people come and travel for eight hours and dug out canoes with their dress clothes on just to get to a church service. So hungry for God all up and down that river. Oh, but that first night I didn't know if I was going to make it. I had made so many promises to God that night with those bats over my head. Lord, if you'll get me home to Palm Bay, I promise I'll never, ever come down here again. Jacob must have made a lot of promises that first night in that wilderness. Fell asleep on these pillows called rocks. But God turned those pillows into peace. Peace that can only come from God. Bible said that Jacob began to dream and when he does he sees this ladder where the angels are ascending and descending down to him. This was the Lord assuring Jacob that he was not alone. Verse 13, and behold the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Oh my friend, sometimes God has to give you peace by redefining your present circumstance. You see, he was telling him, the land that you're lying in, uh, it is the promise uh, that I gave your forefathers. Uh, It's not just a dwelling place. Uh, It's not just a wilderness for you to pass through. It's your destiny. It's your calling. It's the fulfillment of what I have in store for you. Have you ever been in a storm and you don't know how or why? It defies logic, but somehow you got through it. It was a place of uncertainty. But oh, God gave you a pillow. He gave you peace in the midst of the storm. It was a place of rest. It may not resolve the situation, but you got a confidence in your soul that everything is going to be okay. That can only come from God. Because your friends look at you and they say, I don't know how you're getting through it. You say, I don't know how, man. I I don't know how I'm doing it either. But God somehow has given me a peace. He's given me a pillow in a weary land. He's given me comfort in my heart. He's given me something in my soul to let me know it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Jacob wakes up. He still has the dread reality that he's in a harsh place. But it's different now. The sand looks different. The son seems like a friend rather than an enemy. I love this. Verse 14, the Lord changes his perspective of the place that he's in. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. When he looked around, all he saw was dust and dirt and desolation. And God says, thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. He uses that present time of being surrounded by wilderness uses it as an object lesson to describe what he's going to do for him. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. 
and there was a whole bunch of him, a whole bunch of that for him to look at. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north. The fact that he could look in every direction and there was no end to it. The north and the south and the east and the west. Not even see another human being. As far as the naked eye could look. That would give all of us a cause for concern. The Lord turns it around and says, look to the north, look to the south, the east and the west. And as far as you can see, it's going to be in this place that thy seed shall dwell. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. From this place, all peace changes your perspective. Oh, my friend, that can only come from God. That doesn't come from logic. That doesn't come from human reasoning. All we can do on our own is make a pillow out of rocks. But God gives us peace in the midst of the storm and says, I got you in the palm of my hand. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Verse 15, and behold, I'm with thee. And will keep thee in all places whether thou goest. And will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Mm. I'm reminded of that song. It is well, it is well with my soul. That that man wrote. He was a businessman in Chicago. And their family was going across the North Atlantic to England. And he got caught up on a business transaction and could not go on the boat that his family went but they went and the ship went down in the North Atlantic he lost the majority of his family and he later passaged that same way that ship stops and says this is where the ship went down and that man leans over the rail of that ship and looks in the vastness of that ocean where his children lay in the bottom of that sea. And he begins to write these words. When peace like a river attends all my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my path, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Oh, my friend, that doesn't come from human relationships. That doesn't come from human reasoning. That comes from a God that gives you a supernatural peace. It is well with my soul. Jacob awaked out of his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Now the pillows become pillars. Because if the pillows are the peace of God, the pillars are a reminder of the presence of God. Sometimes you don't see it until you go through it and you look back. And you can see where God was with you the whole time. He walked with you. It took the next morning for Jacob to wake up and say, Surely the Lord was in this place. He didn't just give me a pillow. He gave me a pillar. He was a strong tower. He was a refuge. He was my shelter. I'm going to build a pillar. And I'm going to remember this moment as a memorial. That when I thought I was at my wit's end, 
God showed up. And he let me know that his presence was real. Oh, my friend, you got to sometimes build a pillar and remember that God brought you through. God instructed the children of Israel to establish a pillar of stones at the Jordan River when they crossed over as a memorial. So when their children would ask them why these stones are piled up, they would be able to tell them, the Lord helped us to come over the Jordan River on dry ground, just as he did our forefathers in the Red Sea. He brought us over. He protected us. He caused the river to fall back and give us dry ground to walk on. And we're going to build a memorial. And it's going to be a pile of rocks as a pillar that reminds us that God brought us here. Oh, my friend, you got to remember your victories. I, I, I was telling my son Gregory, they were uh, involved in a Bible quiz tournament in Jacksonville. And it, it was the Southeast Extravaganza. It was a lot of great teams from around the Southeast that were there and some that were not in the Southeast. And they come together and they, 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 they're studying the book of Proverbs this year and they Bible quiz and it's very intense and it's very competitive. And, and the way the quiz is designed, it all comes down to the end and there's been several games this year whenever they've lost on the last question, and those are the ones you remember. But then there's also been several games that they've won on the last question. And this came down to a very intense game against a church in Ohio, and uh, they had gotten all the way down, and it was going to be decided on the last question. And it didn't look like we were going to be able to pull it out. They'd been, uh, the way they divided up their team, because they got three good quizzers, and we'll talk more about this tonight when we're all here and we honor our quizzers, because they ended up going undefeated and becoming the first team in the nation to qualify for the national tournament. And it was a God thing. But it didn't look like Gregory was in a rhythm. He'd missed two or three, and it comes down to the last question. He's our 30-point guy, and, and uh, so we called a timeout, and we huddled, and I said, you've got to just forget about everything else that's happened up to this. This is all down to one question. Whoever gets this question wins. And you just got to go, he attacks the last question and he gets it right. And they win that game and they go undefeated in round one. And they become the first team to qualify. And so later I was telling Gregory, I said, Gregory, you got to, I know you can remember the ones without trying that you lost on the last question, but you got to call to remembrance the ones that you won on the last question. You got to remember this game and the game the week before against New Whiteland in Indiana and the game at the Disney tournament against Dupo. And you got to remember the ones that you won on the last question. Because you can always remember the ones you lost. You can always remember the battles uh, that you got beat up in. Uh, it's easy to forget the victories. But I told him, I said, David remembered his victories. Uh, he hung on to the sword of Goliath. Uh, he said, I'm going to hang on. I don't know what's in front of me. I don't know the battles that I'm going to face. Uh, but I got a memorial for a victory that God gave me. You've got to remember your victories. He recounted to King Saul. He said, I fought the bear and God gave me the victory. I fought the lion and God gave me the victory. And I'm going to fight this giant. God's going to give me the victory. And he held on to that sword. He didn't know what was in front of him. There would be times when he would be a fugitive running from King Saul, who was jealous of God's hand upon his life. He was a madman, literally. He was out in the wilderness, could not go home. He could not even join himself to the Philistines. Everybody was suspicious. It was just David and some of those mighty men that aligned themselves with him. A man without a home. But you know what? 
he held on to his victories. Because, oh, my friend, when you face uncertain times in the future, you got to go back and remember, God brought me through. I remember when I wasn't sure what was going to happen. God brought me through. And you got to call to remembrance. You got to build a pillar. You got to build a memorial. It was God that brought us through the Jordan River. It was God that gave us victory. You got to remember that God protected you. God kept you. God protected your children when you prayed in the midnight hour for them. Come on, you got to make a pillar right there. you got to build a memorial yes, to remember it was God that did it. Yes, Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone. Now watch this. He took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar. It was Jacob that had to make that transfer. I tell these Bible quizzers all the time, you can memorize the Word of God, but only you can transfer it from your head to your heart. There's no parent that can do that for you. There's no quiz coach that can do that for you. There's no pastor. There's not another human being that can do it. We can, Even the people that are sitting in this auditorium today listening to the Word of God as it comes into your ears and into your brain, uh, but only you can transfer it to your heart uh, that you decide to step out from where you're sitting or standing and make your way to an altar. Only an individual can turn a pillow into a pillar. It was Jacob that said it's been a pillow for the night, but it's time to turn it into a pillar in the morning because God was in this place and I knew it not, but I know it now. And I don't ever want to forget that the presence of God was here. You gotta build a memorial. You gotta remember that midnight hour when God came in to that bedroom. You gotta remember that God kept you in a desolate place. You gotta build a pillar to remember that God's presence was there. It was not man that did it. It was God that did it. It was a God thing. I asked him last week to pray for us in the early service because for the last two weeks I've been going down and representing a church down in southern Louisiana called Bro Bridge. It's been growing. God's been giving them great revival. They had an opportunity to buy a lot of land with buildings right on the main corridor where Walmart is in the interstate, I-10. And there was some zoning issues and it didn't look like they were going to get approval. The week before, the Planning and Zoning Commission had had uh, ruled against them three to one. But now, this past week on a Tuesday night, there was a city council meeting. The city council would make the final decision. And I told the pastor, bring everybody from the church down there. Just a town of 8,000 people, but I want every Pentecostal you can find. Fill that city council chamber. I want the mayor and all them city council people to have to look into the eyes of all those voters and rule against them. People got up and started speaking. I spoke. I started talking to them about RULUPA, which is a religious land use and institutionalized persons act. And I said, yeah. it was passed by Congress in 2000. You can't discriminate against churches. They said, well, we got 80% of our land you can build a church in. It's just that commercial corridor. I said, RULUPA laws don't care 
if you got 99% of your land that church is going to be. It's going to look at one acre that you say a church can't build on. And it's going to say you've got to make way unless there's a compelling governmental interest and an ordinance has been narrowly tailored. You can't just discriminate against a church. It's part of the Civil Rights Act of 64. I passed out material to all of them from the Department of Justice. Went over line by line. The city attorney started questioning. We went back and forth. Finally, we come to some agreement that we had to make some changes. They made some changes, but it wasn't going to be enough. And then people in that church got up and started testifying. A lady stood up there and she said, I was on drugs, but I went to this church and God's love hit me and these people love me and I'm not on drugs anymore and I frequent the places of this city and I buy food in the restaurants and in the grocery store and I contribute to this society. It's because God saved me. And this little boy got up and he said, uh, I was diagnosed as being a cripple when I was a young man that I would never walk. But he said, I stand before you now because of the healing power of Jesus Christ. And I watched the mayor and the city council and I watched their countenance begin to change so that when it was all over, they voted four to one in favor of the Bro Bridge Pentecostals. And everybody in the building stood up and started applauding. And I looked back at the pastor and he had his hands in it and his face in his hands and he was crying and I went back and put my arms around him and he said brother Myers it's been 12 years we've been praying for this building I said don't forget it was God that did it it wasn't a lawyer from Florida it was God you gotta build a memorial that it was God that brought you through Oh, you ought to give him some praise right now. It was God that brought me through. Mm. It was God that brought me through. It was God that kept me all these years. Mm. Poured oil upon the top of it. Called the name of that place Bethel. Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me, will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. He said, I'll be your people if you'll be my God. And so, for the very first time in the Word of God, we find the word oil. It's found hundreds of times after this. But for the very first time, we see the word oil. The oil, the poured oil, is used to be poured over this pillar to seal the promise that God has made with Jacob. Because if the pillow is the peace of God, the pillars are the presence of God. Poured oil is the promises of God. When Jacob poured the oil over that altar, he was sealing this promise. If you'll be my God, I'll be your people. There was something powerful that took place. And later on from that point forward, we see it happens over and over again. It, it was the poured oil out of the horn of Samuel that was poured on David as a boy. As a promise that he would be the next king. 
In all of those times when David ran for his life as a fugitive from the king, all he had was the remembrance of when that man of God poured oil. Oh, my friend, you got to remember that God has given you some promises. And even though you're in a desolate place, there's some oil that's been put on those promises. There's been an assurance that God is going to be with you, though it may not look like you can come out out of the situation you're in. I've come to remind you that the promises of God are forever and ever and ever. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalms 45, 7 when he says in Hebrews 1, 9, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. It's preceded with the same promise that Psalms also records. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. My friend, there is a promise that is forever and ever, that is sealed with the poured oil, that if you will hate wickedness and love righteousness, you will live a life of gladness. Mm. You will live a life of fulfillment. If you enter into covenant with God, you become His people, the people of righteousness. He becomes your God, the God of righteousness. And you enter into an agreement with Him. I've come to tell you that regardless of your present circumstances, it's an everlasting covenant agreement that is sealed with the oil of His Spirit that He's going to bring you through because He's the author and the finisher of your faith. So that James 5.13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The oil is going to be the anointing, the poured oil. That seals what promise? Verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. We misquote that a lot and we think it says the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. That's not what it says. It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You know what the Lord brought to my remembrance? You know what the Lord quickened in my spirit? That this is an everlasting covenant. This is a covenant of salvation. So that when you anoint them with oil, he says, I'm making an everlasting covenant that I will save the sick. He may not heal the body on this earth, but he's going to save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. If he doesn't raise him up on this earth, the Bible says that when the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise. Oh, my friend, this is a covenant agreement that's more than just 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years on this earth. This is an everlasting covenant that God says, I'll save, I'll forgive them, and I'll raise them up. And one day we will sit in heavenly places. It may not always happen in the time frame that we want. 
But in the end, God will have the final say. Because the covenant is forever. Because the promise is forever. So we keep on praying and believing. But we recognize that the poured oil is a promise for eternity. Promise of His Spirit. That resurrection Spirit that says it will dwell in us as it did Christ. That's the oil that is for eternity. Would you stand to your feet? When his disciples asked him about this very principle, he gives them a parable in Matthew 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. The lamps is the Word of God illuminated in your mind and in your spirit today. But only you can pour oil upon the altar. Only you can say, God, I want to have oil in my vessel. I thank you for the lamp. I thank you for the light of your word. But I want the oil. Because when the bridegroom called, I don't want to be out of oil. I want to be full and running over. I want that oil to go down over the pillar. Over my memory, over my mind, over every desperate situation. I want the oil of gladness. The oil of your spirit. I want it to pulsate through every vein in my body. That's why when the Bible says you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you begin to speak in other tongues as the Bible describes in Acts 2 and Acts 10 and Acts 19. is because it's the overflow. It's poured oil that spills over. It is the seal of his spirit. The Bible said the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. But it's up to you and I to say, Lord, I want some oil poured over my sacrifice. I remember your presence. I know what it is to have peace in the midst of a struggle. I want some oil on the promises of God. And I choose to fill my vessel right now. Would you lift your hands all over this building? Would you make that your prayer request? Lord, come on, let this vessel be full of the oil of your spirit. Come on, just lift your voice unto God. Come on, let the oil of gladness, the joy of the Lord, that is my strength. I can't do it on my own, God. I need your help. I need your strength. Only you can do the work, oh God. Come on, let the Lord bless you right now. I wonder how many of you would step out from where you're standing and come down to this altar and say, Lord, I want you to pour oil on my life. I want a double portion of your spirit in my life today. Come on, I need some oil in my vessel. I need some oil in my vessel. 
Come on, the promises of God are for you. Come on, Jacob. They're not just for Abraham. They're not just for Isaac. They're for you, Jacob. I brought you here for a purpose. I've got a calling on your life. I've got a destiny for you. I know your present circumstances. They look like... They look like a wilderness. But God's fixing to do something in the midst of a dry and desert place. Come on, I want to pour some oil on my present circumstances. Come on, lift up your hands all over this building. Lift up your voice unto God. The Spirit of God will strengthen you and keep you. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
something special for us this morning and I felt that I should go and get this oil this morning I want us to establish a prayer line right now right down this middle row right here and if you say pastor I want to be anointed with oil I want to be anointed with oil this morning doesn't matter what the situation is I'm going to ask these ministers if they'll help me and if you want to be anointed with oil from the front all the way to the back just let's establish a line right here if we've got more people than we can get in this line We'll start another line going right down here. However, we've got to do it. We can do another line on this side. We got three different. We got three different lanes right here. We've got different ministers. Establish a line here, a line here, and a line over here. And let's begin to pray right now. I want us to begin to pray and say, Lord, I want the oil of your spirit to be poured upon this promise. Come on, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Come on, let's lift our hands right now and begin to call on the name of Jesus. Come on, I'm going to put oil on it right now. I'm going to seal it. I'm going to seal it, Lord, with the oil. <laughs> 